Welcome to Oncofarm. I'm your host, John Bazaar. I'm an associate professor of pharmacy practice and the supporting sponsor of Oncofarm, the Bill Gatton College of Pharmacy. I'm recording this in the morning of Wednesday, January 13th. Uh, today we are getting back to our Landmarks in Oncofarm series, talking about a landmark study that's still uh, has a role, defines, and leads to uh, kind of how we still treat uh, lung cancer today. Now, there was the uh, recent, I think this was yesterday, the American Cancer Society puts out their year in cancer statistics. So 21 cancer statistics, this comes out the beginning part of the year, uh, and this made the rounds on lung cancer social media, hashtag LCSM. Uh, you know, so lung cancer incidence and mortality continue to turn to continue to trend down. Um, uh, if you just look at the lung cancer incidence going down, the slope seems to be about the same, so thank you to smoking cessation efforts uh, nationwide. Uh, lung cancer mortality is also going down. Um, now this is probably due to a combination of smoking cessation, uh, immune checkpoint inhibitors, TKIs, adjuvant chemo, uh, and there is a great figure uh, in, this, in this paper. This is in Cancer uh, Journal for Clinicians, uh, put out by the American Cancer Society. And so figure eight's looking at two-year survival from the uh, uh, fiscal year 2001-2002 to 2015-2016. And then they followed them for two years afterwards, all right? So for localized, and it's not small cell lung cancer, two-year survival rates, which is not cure, but gives us a, a snapshot. Localized uh, disease, so let's say stage one and stage two, two-year survival rate has improved from 69% to 81%, probably due to, of course, smoking cessation for all this stuff. But... But uh, that could be due to screening, uh, which uh, does have an overall survival benefit. There's the Nelson study. There's the National Lung Cancer Screening uh, Study. Uh, a lot of false positives, a lot of work, a lot of, lot of work at going into doing screening, which I'm not an expert to talk about. Uh, but that's an absolute increase in two-year survival of 12%. That's nothing to sneeze at. Regional disease, two-year survival has gone from 40% to 56%, an absolute improvement of 15 or 16%. Probably adjuvant chemo makes a role there, perhaps. Screening, smoking cessation, maybe immunotherapy uh, in those stage uh, three patients after uh, chemo radiation, perhaps. Uh, probably not enough to see the effect of Dervalumab, though, in 15, 16. Uh, and then the dist this is really this is really promising, I think. For distant disease, so metastatic disease, two-year survival rate's gone from 10% to 20%, and that it's got to be due to drugs, due to uh, immune checkpoint inhibitors and tyrosine kinase inhibitors. Okay, uh, so anyway, we've seen this improvement in lung cancer um, uh, mortality rates. Not saying that we're curing more folks necessarily, but fewer people are dying per year from lung cancer, which is the number one killer of men and women, so that's good. All right. So I, I thought this was a good opportunity to go back and, and look at JBR10, which is a landmark study in the adjuvant uh, chemotherapy uh, for non-small cell lung cancer. Now, there is a, a nice meta-analysis in JCO in 2008 uh, published by the LACE, L-A-C-E Collaborative Group. Uh, and there are a couple big studies here included in this. So one is JBR10. The other is Adjuvant Lung Cancer Project Italy. Uh, one is ANITA, which is Adjuvant Navelbean, International Trialist Association, uh, and I IALT, International Adjuvant Lung Trial, and the Big Lung Trial. So there are five of these studies. Uh, and this meta-analysis basically concludes, if you, if you analyze all this data together, there's about a 5% absolute improvement in five-year overall survival with adjuvant cisplatin-based chemo. 
Now, if you look closer at this, and you look at these, uh, these five or six studies, JBR10 is by far an outlier with the greatest benefit and the greatest magnitude of benefit and probably drives uh, this, this difference more than anything else despite being uh, one of these smaller studies included, just under 500 patients, whereas a couple of these studies had 1,000 and almost 2,000 patients, uh, respectively. Anita had uh, 800-plus patients. Probably the reason would be, from, from my uh, quote expertise, is that all of these studies included stage 1, stage 2, and stage 3 patients, except for JBR10, which was just stage 1B, and stage two patients. So they didn't have these stage three patients who have the highest risk of recurrence and therefore uh, of dying from lung cancer, okay? So JBR10, you know, has, you know, some, some notoriety because of that. So that's what I want to look at. This is JBR10 uh, published in the New England Journal of Medicine in 2005. 2005, so, so uh, going back 15, 16 years ago, I was, gosh, P2, P3 uh, at this time. I was I was a P2. I was living my best life as a 22-year-old. Uh, uh, I was a P2, but I was also a senior in college based on just doing two years of pre-farm. So I was living it up, as the kids uh, would have said in 2005. Not anymore, probably. Um, so this was an intergroup study uh, by the National Cancer Institute of Canada and the National Cancer Institute of the United States. So, so good for that northern border uh, cooperation here. Uh, this was uh, 482 patients randomized to either venoral bean cisplatin or observation after surgery with pathologic stage 1B or stage 2 cancer. So this would have been cancers that were, um, you know, like a T2 cancer with no nodes would have been stage 1B, I think, uh, 3 to 5 centimeters, or you had ipsilateral or intrapulmonary nodes, but no mediastinal nodes, no subcranial nodes, which would make you stage 3 uh, I think. Uh, so, you know, they do talk about in this trial in the, in the background section here about the IALT, which showed a, f you know, a 4% improvement in overall survival uh, at the, the five-year mark. Subsequent analysis of that study seven years later actually showed that, that the chemo group had more death with long-term follow-up. And there is a positive JBR10 nine-year follow-up we'll talk about uh, at the end. Uh, they do talk about the reason they chose cisplatin and venorobine was, you know, some early uh, some promising studies with this combination, but also they said we could do this as an outpatient because now we have serotonin antagonists. We have ondansetron uh, and dexmedazine give these folks and control the nausea and vomiting. So enrollment on this study started in 1994 on the north side of the United States border in Canada and then 1998 here in the United States. Uh, patients uh, had to start chemo uh, or randomized within six weeks of surgery. So again, we want to start our adjuvant treatment quickly within surgery after they recover uh, randomized one-to-one, -one, uh, stratified by nodal status, N0 versus N1, and RAS mutations. They were actually looking for RAS mutations back then. Um, funded by NCI Canada, NCI of the U.S., and GlaxoSmithKline, which is the, uh, the manufacturer of Navalbean, which is a brand name for Venorobean. And I'm just going to read this quote here. Last uh, paragraph of the methods. There was no contractual obligation with GlaxoSmithKline with respect to the decision to publish the manuscript for publication, and the company had no influence on the content or preparation of this article. You don't see that very often anymore in the New England Journal of Medicine. So the treatment arm here was cisplatin, 50 milligrams per meter squared, days one and eight, and then venoral being 25 milligrams per meter squared weekly of a four-week cycle for four cycles. So the way this would work would be days one and eight, they'd get cisplatin uh, and venorobine, 
and then days 15, 22, venoral bean, and then days 1, 8, 15, 22, venoral bean every week uh, for four months. Cisplatin, two weeks on, two weeks off is basically how this uh, worked. There was actually a protocol amendment here decreasing the dose of venoral bean from 30 milligrams per meter squared to 25 milligrams per meter squared due to hematologic toxicity. Remember venoral bean? I always think of it, venoral bean. Uh, been blasting, they have bees in the name, so they're the vincas with bone marrow suppression, unlike vincristine, which doesn't have appreciable bone marrow suppression. Uh, they were trying to get 450 patients to have a 80% uh, power to detect a 10% improvement in survival um, with a one-sided 5% uh, alpha level, which is really the same as a two-sided 10% alpha level. Little bit of a flaw there. Um, uh, at the time of this follow-up study, it was five years. We'll go over the survival uh, data for the, the nine-year follow-up, which gives us a more complete picture. Um, you know, these patients were, you know, one-to-one -one randomized, so 240 in each arm. They were 60 years old on average. A little over half had adenocarcinoma, which we would expect. 24% had a RAS mutation, which is reported in the baseline demographics. But of course, no mention of EGFR or BRAV V600E or ALK or ROS1 or MET or RET or PDL1 expression because we didn't know that 15, 16 years ago. Amazing how far uh, we've come. Um, it was about 50 50 between stage 1B and stage 2. It's actually 45 stage 1B and then 55 uh, stage 2. Uh, the majority of patients, more than two thirds, had lobectomy as their surgery. Uh, and one thing that I did not appreciate in, in going through this study, uh, this was a, four cycles of chemo. The number of patients who completed all of cycle one was 88%. That number drops to 48% after cycle four. So not even half the patients completed all four cycles of adjuvant chemo, uh, which makes uh, our results a little bit more uh, impressive. Uh, I'll also point out uh, in the background of this study, they talk about the IALT study, which ended up uh, not confirming the benefit later on. Uh, they do talk about, despite the benefit seen at this time of adjuvant cisplatin-based chemo, because the benefit was small, it was not standard of care in the United States at that time. Um, and of course, it did show an improvement in overall survival. We'll get to those absolute data in a second. But first, let's go over the, the toxicity. They only present toxicity for the venorobine cisplatin group. I would like to see the placebo toxicity, of course. We know that placebo is not causing, or observation, not placebo. We know observation is not causing toxicity, but it's still useful to see just what the, the baseline population, uh, you know, incidence of diarrhea is, for example. Uh, but it, it's kind of what you would expect. 80% nausea of any grades, only 10% of that being grade 3 or grade 4. Uh, neutropenia in almost all patients, 73% had a grade 3 or grade 4 neutropenia. Uh, febrile neutropenia only in 6% of patients after the venoral bean dose reduction. Uh, ALT elevation, 18%. You see that with a lot of chemo, just a mild elevation in ALT. Creatinine elevation, uh, numerically lower at 16%. Again, somewhat low-dose cisplatin, just 50 milligrams per meter squared per dose. Uh, unfortunately, they don't describe what their uh, their fluids were uh, given pre and post uh, in this study. And I'm sure it's in the protocol, but not mentioned here in the article, and they don't have the supplementary appendix uh, as a 15-year-old article like they do in the current NEJM uh, in studies. So, you know, that's the... That's the, uh, you know, the, the crux of this. When we get to the results, if you look at this 2015 paper, just looking at the Kaplan-Meier curves, you see right away there's no benefit in the stage 1B group. The, you know, the, the, the Kaplan-Meier curves cross a couple times. They're, they're pretty much you know, overlapping. Uh, 
you see that uh, in the overall patient population, there's a big gap that emerges between three and six years. Uh, you know, you could easily park a car between it, not even a car, but a motorcycle, certainly. Um, and of course, you don't see that with the stage 1B. All the benefit is here from stage 2 patients. And again, unlike some of the other adjuvant lung cancer studies, they did not include stage 3 patients, really just, uh, really just stage 2. So if we go to the, uh, the nine-year follow-up, this was published in JCO in, in 2010. Um, you know, the absolute improvement in five-year overall survival is 11%, which is a, a, a number needed to treat of nine. But that's including stage 1B and stage 2. And we know from the subgroup analysis, there's no benefit in the stage 1B folks. It's all in the stage 2, and they don't report you know, the five-year overall survival numbers, but it looks like 61% versus 43%. So you're talking an absolute improvement of maybe 18%. That's a number needed to treat a six. That is very impactful for these folks. So going back to my earlier point of how we're seeing uh, this improvement in lung cancer mortality, if we are finding um, more lung cancers, non-small cell lung cancer, as stage two versus stage four because of screening, we do have, we've got to find six of those people and get them on adjuvant treatment to save one life five years later. So there is going to be uh, some benefit there. Uh, median overall survival for the whole group was 3.6 years versus 6.8 years. Uh, I, I think it's better to look at the five-year uh, OS numbers, you know, 61% versus 43% with stage 2B. The reason it's important, I think, to go over these landmark studies is not to, to know at a deeper level that cisvinorolbine and JBR10 established adjuvant chemo as standard of care for stage 2 lung cancer patients. It's to see what real benefit looks like so when we see a drug that's approved based on a median OS of four months versus five months, uh, the, you know that's not a big benefit. That's a swinging bunt. You know that's a that's a duck snort. That's a you know not a not a it's a baseball term for a base hit uh, that wasn't hit very hard that kind of lucked into getting on base. So this is JBR10 uh, landmark paper cisvinorolbine. Uh, you'll notice we don't use a lot of cisplatin and venorolbine. Uh, in these patients. Uh, and that's, you know, even the, our favorite guidelines talk about how because of toxicity, we don't use a lot of this, this regimen. I mean, you know, 75% uh, of folks are having, you know, significant neutropenia, ANCs uh, of, of less than less than 1,000 easily. So it's not used a lot, of course, for non-adeno, or sorry, for non-squamous, so the adeno, which was more than half of this patient population, the most common type of non-small cell lung cancer. These folks are getting, you know, probably cisplatin pemetrexate, and we do have a phase two study called TREAT, uh, which compared cisvenorolbine versus cispemetrexate, uh, you know, 73, 75% in both groups, two, uh, three-year overall survival. And based on that, we're extrapolating the results of cisvenorolbine in all histologies to using cispem in, uh, in adeno or, or large cell, these non-squamous histologies. And of course, other folks are using things like maybe cisgym in the adjuvant setting or, or, or cisplatin, uh, paclitaxel, certainly. Uh, so this is JBR10. Again, really, really impactful uh, study uh, that, that changed uh, our use and, and, and led to this widespread acceptance of adjuvant chemotherapy, uh, especially for our stage 2 patients. Still could be given to stage, like a stage 3A patient if they have a good surgery. Uh, although the, the magnitude of impact is probably not as good just because stage 3 disease is a little bit more advanced by one stage. Uh, it's more advanced uh, and therefore more likely to recur uh, and maybe less benefit from chemo. But uh, we're, you know, looking somewhat uh, just at this, this study, JBR10. 
Uh, and that's 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 JBR 10. That's our landmark and aquafarm series. Uh, thank you all for listening. Uh, I mean, you know, go ahead and follow me uh, on Twitter at FarmDeetNib. As far as I know, I've lost no followers uh, in the last week. Uh, you can follow the podcast both on Twitter and Instagram at Pop. And until I talk to you again, remember, doses matter.